0: Chronicles Revisited Podcast, Episode 4, Grown Up Gameware. Ken Ooston bets on Computer Blackjack. <music> Welcome to the Chronicles Revisited Podcast. I'm S.M. Oliva. I write the blog Computer Chronicles Revisited which reviews the people and products featured on the PBS series that aired between 1983 and 2002. In this podcast, I focus on individual stories that I've previously featured on the blog. In this episode, I'll be looking at the history of Ken Oosten's Professional Blackjack, one of the earliest programs reviewed by Paul Schindler for Computer Chronicles. Schindler regularly provided one- to two-minute reviews during the random access news segment that followed the main Chronicles episode. And while most of Schindler's reviews focused on business applications and utilities, he also discussed games from time to time. In this October 1984 episode, for example, he praised the computer blackjack game with
1: an interesting title. If you gamble in Nevada or Atlantic City, that's a familiar sight, the shuffling of blackjack cards, usually accompanied by the sight of your money being swept in by the dealer at the end of the round. Well, if you're tired of losing, there's a computer program for you. It's Ken Houston's Professional Blackjack. Now, it's pretty rare when the writer gets top billing when they name a computer program, but Houston deserves it. He's a former official of the Pacific Stock Exchange, and now he's a full-time gambler. Of course, some people would say that isn't much of a switch. But anyway, on a recent trip to Las Vegas, Houston was kicked out of five casinos after winning more than $3,000. Now, most computer blackjack games will just play blackjack with you, but the Whole Earth Software Catalog and Review says Houston's Professional Blackjack will teach you how to play the game and win using various point-counting methods. The graphics are crisp. The table is green. The cards realistic looking. And the sound is good too. You can hear the cards hitting the table. Another use of sound, the program advises you on betting and card play and it beeps at you when you goof. Ken Houston's professional blackjack is $70 from Screenplay in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. For Random Access, I'm Paul Schindler. So who was
0: Ken Houston? And why did he end up writing a blackjack game that cost $70, a AAA price by either 1984 or 2023 standards? It turns out that Houston had made a name for himself as both an early computer evangelist and the country's most famous blackjack player. Although, as we'll see, much of Ustin's legend was itself a media creation, that legend began sometime around 1974. At the time, Ustin was, as Paul Schindler mentioned, working at the Pacific Stock Exchange in San Francisco. Ustin was then a vice president in charge of one of the exchange's subsidiary companies. His journey to the corporate C-suite came with an impeccable background. Born Kenneth Senzo Usui in 1935, Ustin's father Senzo Usui was a professor at Yale University. Ken himself attended Yale and earned a degree in economics before moving to Harvard and completing an MBA. Ustin then set out to apply his interest in mathematics and statistics to the business world. In the 1960s, he worked for the Southern New England Telephone Company, where he developed an ambitious plan to improve the efficiency of the network wiring between the company's 122 Connecticut offices. After management rejected the plan, however, Oostin quit and moved to California, where he started out as a consultant for a number of companies before landing at the Pacific Stock Exchange. Which brings us to 1974. As Oostin later recounted to a New York Times reporter, he was at a dinner party where he met a friend of a friend who was a professional gambler. This person mentioned using a method called the Revere Advanced Point Count Method to play blackjack. Named for Lawrence Revere, a former casino pit boss, This card-counting method was adapted from the work of a Massachusetts Institute of Technology professor, Edward O. Thorpe, who wrote the first academic articles on the subject in the 1960s. Oosten said that after learning of the Revere method, he spent a month practicing it at home before venturing to Las Vegas. There, over a three-day weekend, he claimed he made a $2,000 profit, which was $700 more than his monthly pay from the stock exchange. Initially, Oosten worked solo— but at some point, he came to the attention of Al Francesco, a professional blackjack player. As with many parts of Oosten's story, there are disparate accounts. Oosten claims that Francesco called him first. Francesco said Ustin called him first. Indeed, Francesco later recalled that he and Ustin were dating the same girl at the time, and she was the one who set up the contact. Regardless of who called who, the purpose of the call was clear. Francesco was more than a professional blackjack player. He ran a professional team of sorts. Basically, he employed a group of 21 players who placed bets at various blackjack tables at a given casino. Most of these betters were the card counters, who used a version of the Revere method. They placed minimum bets and kept track of the cards as they were played. When the count reached a given point value, a spotter in the group would signal a big player to come to the table and start placing larger bets with more favorable odds. Francesco served as the team boss supervising three smaller groups of six counters and one big player each. As you probably guessed, Francesco wanted Ustin to join his team. Ustin agreed and quickly climbed the ranks to become one of the big players. He continued to hold his day job at the Stock Exchange, but eventually left to pursue blackjack full-time. Ustin later claimed that Francesco's team cleared a $520,000 profit in the nine months after he joined, and made more than a million dollars by the middle of 1976. Of course, this was all on the down-low. Uston may have been a successful blackjack player, but he didn't have any sort of public profile. Indeed, that would have been counterproductive, given that casinos tend to frown upon card counting. That all changed, however, one night in February 1976 at the Sands Hotel in Las Vegas. Oosten was performing his usual big-player role with the Francesco team when a pit boss figured out there was a card-counting operation at the tables. Ooston and his friends were then thrown out of the casino. According to Oosten... He soon found that he'd been barred from several other casinos in Vegas for being a known card counter. Ustin's response to this banning was to turn himself into a public figure. In 1977, he published a book, Big Player, detailing his supposed exploits at the blackjack tables. Journalist Roger Rappaport co-authored the book, which was presented as a third-person narrative of Ustin's time with Francesco's team. Ustin also filed lawsuits against many of the casinos that barred him from their premises. Some of Ustin's former associates believed that the Sands incident had actually been staged to enable Ustin to make a public name for himself. Al Francesco said in an interview that Ustin already had the book deal in place when he went to the Sands that night and he wanted to get caught. Francesco added that he was aware of the book deal and that a representative of the publisher was present that night at the Sands to see Oostin, quote, putting on a big show, unquote, with the pit boss. The fact that Ostin's story spread quickly to the national media certainly supports the notion this was part of a concerted plan. In June 1976, the New York Times magazine published a lengthy account of Oostin's travails at the Sands. Sports Illustrated in 60 Minutes later produced similar profiles. Suddenly, Oostin was the world's most famous blackjack player. Not because he wanted blackjack, but because he constantly talked about being so good at blackjack that the casinos wouldn't let him play. Ustin fueled his media coverage with his numerous lawsuits, but most of those cases went nowhere. For example, in March 1978, a federal judge in Nevada granted summary judgment to Hilton Hotels in a lawsuit that Ustin filed after he was barred from the Flamingo Hotels Casino in June 1975. Ustin claimed the ban violated his civil rights, but the judge said that the casino's decision was not a state action covered by civil rights laws, and in any event, no law protected better than average blackjack players from discrimination. Ooston did manage to score one courtroom victory, albeit in New Jersey and not Nevada. In January 1979, Resorts International in Atlantic City barred Ooston from its casino. Prior to the ban, Resorts sought legal guidance from the chairman of the New Jersey Casino Control Commission. The chairman told Resorts that there was no law on the books barring a casino from excluding a professional card counter. Resorts then adopted a specific policy to bar card counters after barring Oostin from the premises. Ooston challenged Resorts' policy before the Casino Control Commission, which sided with the casino. But a New Jersey appeals court later reversed the commission's ruling. And in May 1982, the New Jersey Supreme Court upheld the lower court's decision. Now, the scope of this ruling was quite limited. Basically, New Jersey law granted the commission, not the individual casinos, the sole power to exclude patrons based on the strategies for playing licensed casino games. As Oosten had not violated any standing commission rules during his prior card counting, resorts could not unilaterally exclude him. But the Supreme Court's decision did not prevent the commission from choosing to ban card counting in a future regulation. By the time of the Supreme Court's ruling in 1982, however... Oostin had already expanded his operations into the world of computer software with the eponymous Ken Ooston's Professional Blackjack. It's difficult to know exactly when early computer software was released, but based on records filed with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, Professional Blackjack probably came out sometime in the summer of 1982 for the Apple II. There were then ports to the Atari 8-bit computer line, the Commodore 64, and IBM PCs running MS-DOS. The publisher of Professional Blackjack is its own complicated story, one that I admit to not having all the details of. When Paul Schindler reviewed the program in 1984, he listed the publisher as screenplay. But the early packaging and marketing materials referenced a company called Intelligence Statements. Here is how I can best explain this. David Handel founded Intelligence Statements sometime in the late 1970s. Handel was a radiologist at Duke University in North Carolina. In 1981, he merged intelligence statements with another company, MedSystems Software, which was founded in 1979 by William F. Denman Jr. Denman was also based in North Carolina and worked as a self-taught computer programmer at a hospital in Chapel Hill. Denman originally started MedSystems to market a program called the Basic Bartender, a computer database of mixed drink recipes. While that program didn't sell well, Med Systems did manage to make a modest name for itself in the early 1980s by developing and selling adventure games under names like Death Maze 5000, Asylum, and The Human Adventure, the latter being a text game where players move through a human body to destroy cancer cells. After combining with intelligence statements, Med Systems started publishing under the name Screenplay. News reports also said that by 1984, the company was under the umbrella of a parent firm called AGS Computers. From my research, it appears that AGS was a publicly traded company based in New York, and they may not have owned Screenplay for very long. An individual named Sandy Shupper took over as Screenplay CEO and apparent parent owner for a time. But to be honest, I have never been able to nail down a firm timeline. Setting aside the ownership situation, William Denman was the main person behind the actual software operation. He told a North Carolina newspaper in early 1984 that Screenplay's goal was to be a budding leader in the computer games industry along the lines of Broderbund, Spinnaker, and Sierra Online. At the summer 1984 Consumer Electronics Show, Screenplay displayed a 1,300-square-foot booth featuring breakdancers, reportedly to generate hype for a planned breakdancing game. Hey, this was the 80s. How Screenplay acquired Ken Usten's professional blackjack in the first place also remains a mystery to me. Ustin himself is listed as the author and original copyright holder of the program. Whether he actually wrote the code is unknown. It's plausible that he did based on his background and the fact he would go on to write extensively about the computer industry, as I'll explain in a few minutes. A 1979 Sports Illustrated profile discussed Oostin's relationship with Keith Taft, a self-taught computer engineer who reportedly helped Ustin develop a small computer to facilitate his casino card counting. It's therefore possible Taft also contributed to the programming of professional blackjack, and it's equally plausible that Screenplay's Denman worked on the original code. And the Screenplay team certainly did the various system ports that followed the initial Apple II release. But Denman himself said in later interviews that Screenplay had licensed Oosten's name as opposed to publishing a game he wrote and sold to them. The game itself was actually quite impressive for the time. As Paul Schindler noted, this was not a simple computer blackjack game. Rather, it was a program designed to teach advanced card counting techniques. Marketing materials referred to the Oosten Advanced Point Count method, which I'm assuming was just a modified version of the Revere Advanced Point Count system that Oosten had been using with the Al Francesco team. The other notable feature of professional blackjack was that it allowed the player to experience the game under the specific house rules of every major Las Vegas and Atlantic City casino of the day. This actually lends credence to Ustin taking a personal role in the programming, since he clearly had that depth of knowledge. It's also worth noting that Screenplay sold this game at retail for $70 initially. That was nearly double what the average computer game retailed for in the early 1980s. For context, a game like Richard Garriott's Ultima sold for about $35 around this time and Screenplay's own back catalog listed most of its adventure games at around $20. Now, to be fair, Screenplay marketed Professional Blackjack as an adults-only title. The box itself described the program as grown-up gameware. This no doubt went into the premium price charged, as did the use of Oosten's name in the title and marketing materials. This also raises the question of whether Ken Oosten's Professional Blackjack was the first computer game to explicitly use the name of the purported developer in the title. The most famous example of this, of course, is Sid Meier, whose name started adorning titles published by his company Microprose, starting with Sid Meier's Pirates in 1987. Oostin beat Meier to the punch by about five years. And, according to Moby Games, the only other game with creator's name predating Oostin's was Butterfield Social and Recreational Club, another blackjack game, this one self-published by Jim Butterfield for the Commodore Pet in 1980. Unfortunately, just as I couldn't find out much about screenplay as a company, I also didn't uncover any hard sales data for professional blackjack. Paul Schindler reviewed the program more than two years after its initial release, which suggested it had some shelf life, albeit at a time when there weren't that many computer games competing for attention. Ooston also licensed his name to a 1982 ColecoVision title, Ken Ooston Blackjack Poker, which was not a port of the screenplay game, but rather a simple blackjack and poker cartridge featuring the image of a dealer who looked nothing like Oostin. Ken Oostin would follow up his professional blackjack release by marketing himself as an expert in video games and the budding PC industry. He authored some of the earliest video game strategy guides, including Mastering Pac-Man, which he claimed he wrote in four days and went on to sell 1.2 million copies. Hey, it was the 80s. Under his new company, which he called Fun and Games, Oosten also published a series of computer guides for systems ranging from the IBM PC and Commodore 64 to the K-Pro and even the Coleco Atom. And in 1984, Ooston co-developed another computer game, Ken Oosten's Puzzle Panic, which was published by Epix. Oosten also contributed to periodicals such as Creative Computing for a time. But after 1984, Ken Ustin largely dropped out of the public eye. He died suddenly and unexpectedly on September the 19th, 1987, at the age of 52. According to news reports, Ustin was found dead in his hotel room in Paris. At the time, he was consulting for the government of Kuwait on a new investment computer system. As for the fate of Ken Ustin's professional blackjack, the intellectual property may be lost in the ether. Screenplay ceased active operations around 1985. And according to a 1988 filing with the United States Copyright Office, the rights to Ken Ustin's Professional Blackjack and several other software titles were listed as subject to a loan and security agreement by two companies controlled by former Screenplay CEO Sandy Schupper. That indicates he used the IP as collateral for a loan. In any event, you can play several versions of Ken Ustin's Professional Blackjack at the Internet Archive, where it has been preserved for digital posterity. And that's all for this episode of the Chronicles Revisited podcast. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the topics discussed in today's episode, there are links in the show notes. You can also visit my website, Computer Chronicles Revisited, at smoliva.blog. That's S-M-O-L-I-V-A dot blog. This episode was adapted from a blog post I published in February, 2022, and it contains more on the fascinating life and times of Ken Houston. In the next episode, I'll look at another use of early computers to facilitate gambling. Well, gambling on stocks at least. Talk to you then.